guys are fired up. I like it. It's Easter. He has risen. Amen. You know, I noticed I can't teach with the stand over here, so I must be right-handed when I talk. I don't know what that means, but... Hey, if you're new at Grace in your bulletin is this little card. It's called the Connection Card. We would love to know that you came today. We'd love to know that you were here, and this is just a good way to let us know that. Um, this is also a great way for you to communicate with us, even if you've been here for decades. If you have a question about what we're doing, um, fill this out, write your question on here. Uh, there's room on the back. We make a commitment to getting back to you within the week. Um, if you have any questions, this is a, a wonderful way to communicate. I want to encourage you to read your bulletin. There's lots of good stuff going on. I know there's a blood drive coming up on the 18th, and I didn't talk about this the first service, but I had a chance to go visit one of our young people who was in the hospital having a drug blood transfusion um, this week, as a matter of fact, multiple blood transfusions. And um, this is part of her desire to um, get more blood into the system, if you will, because she knows that she had to go. So I just encourage you, this would be a great way to bless that family. Um, so look in your bulletin. It happens on the 18th. Let's just uh, pack the house. It's just a good way for us to serve. So good morning. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you're a good visitor with us today, um, I dressed up for you today. I tucked my shirt in. So, you know, everybody looks so nice. I feel kind of bad. Should have wore a tie or something. Hey, so this morning we're launching a series that we're calling He Is, I Am, So What? And the, really, the, the premise of the series is for the next few weeks, we are going to walk through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is in the New Testament, and one of the things we're going to discover is who God is. And as we discover who God is, we're going to answer the question, so what? So what does it matter? Because who God is really does matter, and it ought to affect who we are as people. So we have this wonderful opportunity to unpack this letter and, and make some great discoveries about who God is, and what it means to you and I. So grab your Bibles. We're going to start where we should always start in a book. We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Here's what I want to tell you. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Whatever you use at home to study the Word of God, bring that. So if you're an electronic reader, if you read from an iPad or an iPhone, that's fine. We're all, all about that. So whatever you would typically use, bring that. We want to also encourage you to take notes. So this is kind of funny. I've said this multiple times up here, but I couldn't remember the statistics, so I had to look them up again last night. And the statistics are about remembering things. Is there an irony in that? I couldn't remember what I had said before, probably because I didn't write it in my notes. See, so the, here's the deal. You remember about 30% of what you hear, and you remember about 70% of what you write. So if you just take a minute as you're listening to the sermon and you write certain things, so if God stirs something in you, if you hear something that sticks with you, if you write it down, you're going to be far more likely to remember it later. What was that thing that Doug said? So what we're encouraging you to do is use your bulletin. There's a place for notes. And always take notes. You don't have to take detailed notes. There's some people that write down, you know, the whole outline of what I've talked about, and that's fine. That's not really what I'm going for. What I'm encouraging you to do is write down the things that stand out to you, the things that stir in you, because you'll be able to retain them so much more. So before I read, I want to just kind of set up the book of Ephesians a little bit. Paul is the writer of Ephesians. If you remember, Paul's that guy that before he became a Christian, he was actually having Christians arrested. He was a, a leader within the church, and he would travel, and he would find the little house churches, and he would drag people out and have them arrested. And many of them were even killed because of, of Paul's work of pulling out. So he was a, a persecutor of the early church. That's what his job was. And you remember the story. He was riding on his donkey to Damascus for that very purpose. And God knocks him off his donkey and he's blind for a few days. But, but Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, Paul, I want to give you a mission. You, you now are going to go and tell people about me. 
especially the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people. That's going to be your mission in life, to tell people about me. So that's the Paul who writes this letter. But he writes this letter really late in his, in his career, if you will, late in, later in his life. So a lot of the letters are early, but this one comes late in his life. Re- wrote 13 of the letters that we have in the New Scripture, or in the New Testament. But unlike most, um, the letter of Ephesians isn't addressing a crisis. So if you look at Philippians, if you look at at Corinthians, there's almost always an underlying crisis that Paul is writing to that region or that particular church about how to solve that crisis or what they ought to do. So there was either a church split or there was some kind of um, discourse or sometimes it was just there was heresy amongst the church. They were believing the wrong thing. And, And so this was the letter was written to kind of address that. But that doesn't seem to be the case with Ephesians or with Colossians for that matter. Those are the only two letters that stand apart. So what that means for us is that as you read it, it's going to be um, almost obvious to us right away as we study this that there's very few commands in the Scripture. There's very very few to-do sort of things that come out of the Scripture, if you know what I mean. So there's no doing passages. You know what I mean by a doing passage? Like confess your sins to one another, love one another, don't think too highly of yourself. Those are all kind of doing passages, right? They're, they're ways that we, we accept Jesus in our life, and then these are kind of the, the ways that we can conduct ourselves Christianly. And it's all throughout the Scriptures, but, but pretty absent when we look at the book of Ephesians. As a matter of fact, the book of Ephesians is more about knowing and being than it is about doing. It's more about knowing and doing than it is about being. It's a letter written to express to everyone who hears it who God is. That's why we called the series, He Is. This letter was written to help everyone know who He is. And the truth of the matter is, when you know who God is, when you really understand deep in your, your inner man, in your spiritual person, when you really know who God is and all God has done for you and, and how God has brought about all this stuff in your life, it changes everything. It changes who you are. We, we, we have to recognize that the more we know about God, the more it affects how we respond to the world. So if nothing else happens today, if while we're singing the songs or while I'm teaching the word, if you leave here knowing something about God's love more, then church has been a success. Because the more you know about God, the more it will affect how you behave, how you respond to the world. As a matter of fact, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. You see, Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity is an interaction with the living God. Christianity is this opportunity for us to know God deep in our spirits. And the knowing of God does affect our doing. It does affect how we do things, but it comes out of this knowledge of who God is. It's, it's very different. All of your behaviors, all of your responses, all of the way you respond to the world is grounded and shaped by what you know and you believe about God. That's worth writing down. All of your behaviors, all of your responses are grounded and shaped by what you know and believe about God. So here we have this letter that's really written to ground us and to shape us and to challenge us about who God is and to help us to understand what God is up to inside of us through his spirit. So with all that in mind, I'm going to read Ephesians 1. If you're reading in your, the Bible's under your seat, that's on page 827 if that helps you. So Ephesians 1. Verses 1 through 14. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Praise be 
to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will, through the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11. In him we are chosen. We have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to be put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Lord, I pray that as we unpack this passage and really only unpack a little bit of it because there's so much here, it's impossible to cover it in 25 or 30 minutes. So we just ask that you would um, teach where we need to be taught, where you would move where you need to move, where you would just plant seeds where seeds need to be planted. Lord, I pray that what is of you would be loud and clear and what is of me would just fall away. Uh, we just pray that you would do the good heart work that you promised to do when your word is open. In Jesus' name, amen. So the very opening of this passage is, is, is very typical of all of Paul's letters. It's a very common way of, of starting a letter in that time and era. But what Paul does in the very first verse is he kind of tips his hand to the rest of the letter. So if you look at it, he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I want you to see those words, by the will of God, because what Paul is really doing is he's kind of framing what he's going to talk about from this point forward. What he's basically saying is who I am and all that I've done and all that God's done through me and all that God has, has produced in me is all by the will of God. Paul is actually going to teach us through this letter that he, Paul, is chosen, predestined, handpicked, equipped, and commissioned to be an apostle. And it's all done by the will of God. Of God. But the crazy thing in this letter is he's also going to say to you and I, you are handpicked, equipped, commissioned, predestined, chosen to do a particular work. Let that sink in just a little bit. The truth of Ephesians is that you were picked by God to do something. That you were picked by God to do something. And it's done through the will of God. So regardless of you, where you are today, regardless of where you are coming into this room, what I want you to hear is that God has a plan for you, even if you are completely unaware of that. Even if you don't even know for sure who this God is and who Jesus is, God has a plan for you. And we're going to see that as we unpack this passage of Ephesians. So I came into this church 21 years ago, just a little bit less than 21 years ago. Meg and I wandered in off the streets, and whenever I say that, it sounds like we were street people. We weren't living on the streets, but we took a street to get here, so we really did come in off the streets. But we knew nothing really about grace. We just sort of wandered in here, and um, we came to grace. And at that time in my life, um, 
you never in a million years would have convinced me. I didn't work here at the time. We came here just, just like many of you, just because this was a church that we'd heard about and we showed up. And um, if you'd have told me then that I would be working here someday, um, I would have laughed and I would have said, you don't have any idea who I am. You don't have any idea what I've done. You don't have any idea what kind of a person I am. And you would never say that if you knew who I was. So I didn't come here with any expectation of working at Grace, but I wandered into the church. And the truth, the matter is, at that time, I was a successful businessman, and I used successful kind of in, in quotations because by the world's standards, I guess we had all success. But the truth is, my life was a mangled wreck. And I thought about this a lot. I actually emailed somebody and asked them for a better word than, than what I was going to use. And the word wreck is, is the word that I that I think I need to use. And the more I thought about it, the more the word wreck fits. Because think about it, two cars are traveling along and one car collides into the other and then there's bent up steel and broken glass and broken plastic and, and there's, there's just this mangled mess that exists, right? And, and the thing that God was showing me, yeah, Doug, not only was your life a mangled wreck, but everybody you were interacting with was collateral damage. You see, if I wreck my car into your car, my car is not only a wreck, your car is a wreck too. And so at that season of my life, my marriage was, was horrible. It was a disaster. Um, it was bad. Meg and I were pretty miserable together. Um, we had little or no spiritual moorings when we walked in these doors. But here's what I want you to hear. Even then, even then, when I wasn't walking with Jesus, Jesus still had a plan. Do you get that? Like, even when I was running from God, God still had a plan for me. God planned to use this church and these people and the people within this body and the, the teaching that was coming from the stage and the music that I was listening to to, to, in, to awaken something in me and to bring about his plan in my life. God had a plan even when I was totally unaware of it. And what I want you to hear is wherever you are, when you're coming to this place, wherever you go, God has a plan for you. I was a wreck, a mangled wreck. But the good news is I've been pretty good company because the Bible is full of broken, messed up people whose lives were a wreck and God continues to use them. Paul was a killer of Christians and God decided to call him and use him. The fact of the matter is Paul is probably the most successful church planner in history. And God did that in spite of his failings. And in spite of my failings, God has willed to save my marriage and give me a great relationship with my kids and call me to work in a church context. It's an amazing picture of God. So Paul's writing in verse 1, I am an apostle of Jesus, not because of me, but because of God. You get that? I am an apostle. I, everything that's happened is not me. It's by the will of God. The God who spoke everything we see, everything, the whole universe into existence, with just a word, that God, that God chose Paul to do a work. Do you know that the same God chooses you? God chooses you for a particular work. And we're going to see how that unfolds as we unpack Ephesians. There's a part of me that kind of wants to stop there. Like that's enough. If that's all you walk away from, it's enough. But 
I need to make sure I fill all the time, so I'm going to keep preaching. Some of you are like, oh, we're that close. Almost got out of here early. So here's the deal. We sometimes, in our modern evangelicalism, we talk about, oh, if you just meet Jesus, if I just, if I just accept Jesus as my personal Savior, then I get to go to heaven. And you know what? That's true. But it sure leaves out a whole lot because most of us aren't going to say yes to Jesus and then die on the way out of here. So there's something that's in Christianity that happens between yes to Jesus and I die and go to heaven. Don't get me wrong. Dying and go to heaven is a really good thing and we should talk about it. But we don't talk enough about that thing that happens in between yes to Jesus and dying and go to heaven. And that's really what Ephesians is about. Ephesians is about what God offers to us between the yes and the death. That's the picture that, that Paul is unpacking for us. Christianity isn't just an insurance policy that gets us there in the end. Salvation is for right now. Knowing God and knowing all that God offers us is for right now. Life change is for right now. Having direction and purpose in your life is for right now. You know, the number one selling book next to the Bible is The Purpose Driven Life. You know why it's the number one selling book? Well, it's a good book, but because everybody wants to know what their purpose is. Because everybody wants to know, God, why am I here? Why do I exist? Because it scratched the itch of humanity to answer the question. And the truth of the matter is we're going to unpack that as we unpack this amazing book called Ephesians over the next few weeks. So verses 3 through 14. We've, we opened up. This is Paul's opening. And then we get to verse 3 through 14. Most scholars would, would say that verses 3 through 14 we're part of a doxology. How many of you know what a doxology is? How many of you grew up in a church where they sang the doxology? Good, because I'm going to ask you to sing it right now. So sing it with me. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father and Now half of you want to go, Amen. Yeah, that's it. Beautiful. So I grew up singing that every Sunday night. I don't know why they didn't sing it Sunday morning, but every Sunday night they sang the doxology. So like you, obviously we didn't have words on the screen. Many of you knew the words. That's a doxology. And a doxology by definition is a liturgical expression of praise to God. That clears everything up, right? Yeah. Well, let me explain what a liturgical expression as a praise to God means. It, it means that it was a pre-written song or statement that was meant to be read that was a regular part of the liturgy. If it was part of the liturgy, it means it was just part of the church service. So we have a liturgy here. Every church actually has one. And so this was something that would have been read over and over in the church. So what scholars believe is that when Paul gets to verses 3 through 14, he's rewriting a doxology, just like I wrote down when I wrote those words to the doxology, I didn't look them up. I knew them because I'd sang them since I was a little kid. Paul would have known these words, so he wrote them down. And, and the interesting thing is they're very similar. Maybe there's some, some common words between the doxology that we just sung and, and this doxology. But why is it important to know it's a doxology? Because a doxology was written for the purpose of giving words back to God. Right? So the church put him in order, and it's a way for the church to be grounded in the truth. The people hearing the song or hearing the words read would be grounded in the truth, and they were also offered as a words of praise, expression of praise 
back to God. So that's what we're reading. We're reading this, this expression of praise that was meant to be given back to God. So look at verse 3. This is the beginning of this doxology. It says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's the deal. This is the summary statement for the rest of the doxology. This is the summary statement for verses 3 through 14. It says, it says that, that God has given us every spiritual blessing. If you're a person that writes in your Bible, you should underline, circle, draw a square, highlight, whatever you do, the word every. Because it doesn't say God's given us some, and it doesn't say God's given us a few, and it doesn't say if you do things the right way, then God will keep giving you more. What does it say? It says God's given you every spiritual blessing. And then the rest of this doxology is a list, if you will, of what those spiritual blessings are. And here's the deal. There is no way for me to teach all of the spiritual blessings that are contained in this doxology. So your homework is go home and read verses 3 through 14 and have a piece of paper out and write down everywhere you see a blessing, or where a blessing just means something that, that's, that's good, right? Something that comes to you. Every time you see a, a phrase, there's going to be more than what I talk about, and it'd be a good exercise for you to, to pull out the other spiritual blessings. But, but I'm going to pick a few, and the first one that I'm going to choose, a oh, good choice of words, is the word choose. That God has chosen us, that God chooses us. So if you look at verse 4 and you look at verse 11, verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Verse 11 says, In him we are also chosen. Here's what I want you to get God chose you before you were you. That makes sense? God chose you before you existed. Not only before you were you, before he created the world, he knew that you would be who you are and he chose you. So what does that tell you? That tells you that, that you don't have to do something to get to God. God already chose you. You see, we think that if we act the right way, if we do the right thing, if we finally say the right thing, if we pray the right prayer, if we do something, then God is going to choose us. But though the scripture says, God chose you before the creation of the world. You are not an accident. The fact that you are sitting in this room, the fact that you are singing the songs, the fact that you are hearing the word of God is not by happenstance. It's not just something that happens. God chose for you to be here this day hearing this word. God chose you before he created the world. Look at verse 11. It says, him, In him we are also chosen to put our hope in Christ. To put our hope in Christ. You see, verse 4 and verse 11 are basically saying the same thing. Verse 4 says that we're chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. When we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, God sees us as holy and blameless. We don't make ourselves clean. We don't make ourselves holy and blameless. It's the work of the, the Christ on the cross. It's when we accept Christ, God sees us as holy and blameless. And then it says that we are, we are called, we are chosen to put our hope in Christ. They're basically saying the exact same thing. Verse 4 and verse 11 are kind of almost like parentheses for the stuff that's between. So, God has given us every, not a few, but every spiritual blessing. The first one is that he chose us. The second is that he predestined us. This is a big word, and it's a word that's been debated over the centuries. So verse 5 says that he predestined us for adoption. Verse 11 says he predestined us according to the plan of him. And so what's the difference between being chosen and being predestined? 
Well, here's the difference. The word chosen or choose is always connected to the who. It's connected to the person that's chosen. It's the personal side of this. Okay, so, so the word actually means to be elect. So you hear, if, again, if you travel in, in Christian circles and you listen to all the people that want to be really smart, they talk about election and, and all that stuff because the word here is actually elect. So think about it. God elects you. God chooses you. God handpicks you. God drafts you. And think about the word drafts. It's more than just what happens in the military, right? There's a whole bunch of football players and some guys sit in a room and they decide which players are which players and which ones they need and they draft them. What does that mean? They pick them. They elect them. They choose them. That's the word that we're looking at here. But get, get this. You don't have to go play for the football team, right? You can get drafted. We've seen people just boycott it and say, no, I'm not going. So, so God, God elects, God chooses, but, but you have free will. You can say, no, I can tell you that you will never find joy in this life while you say no to God, but you can say no. So God chooses us, and then God predestines. God chooses us, and then he determines our mission in life. And that's really what predestination is, is all around. Because the word predestination actually means marked out beforehand, or boundaries established. So you see the difference? One is that I, I choose you, but then I, I tell you, here's the boundaries. Here's the, the way in which I, I'm calling you to live. Here's the plan I have for you in your life. You see how the two words are different? They both work together. God chooses us, and he predestines us. He decides what the plan is for our lives ahead of time. So every spiritual blessing, God chooses us, and he gives us a particular mission. We are predestined to be adopted as, as sons and daughters, it says. God chooses to adopt you and give you a plan for your life. If you're here in a few weeks, we're going to unpack Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And the way I paraphrase Ephesians 2.10 is God made you a work of art to make art. What's the work of art that God made you to make? Because the only way to truly find purpose in your life is to do the thing that God made you to do because that's what he created you to do. That's your predestination. He chose you to do something unique. The question is, do you believe that? Because that's where purpose is really found. So here's the deal. God made you, God picked you, and God gave you a purpose. And your purpose as, is just as important to the kingdom of God as the Apostle Paul's. Did you hear me? Your purpose. You have as much purpose as Mother Teresa. You have as much purpose as Billy Graham. You have as much purpose as Norflet, as much purpose as Doug Kempton, as much purpose as Paul the Apostle. And the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has called you and given you as much purpose as he's given all of the heroes of the faith, whoever you want to name. This is a good thing for you to sink into. This is a good thing for you to meditate. This is a good thing to ask God to help you to really believe that God has given a plan and a purpose that's just as real as the plan and the purpose that he gave to Paul or to Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or whoever else comes to mind. And here's the deal. I have to talk about it for a minute. The, the, the talk of predestination gets sideways when we talk about it in relation to, to us, when we make it some sort of um, position of authority or position of, of favor. Because it wasn't written for that purpose. This is a doxology. 
written to be sung as a praise to God. It's a way of saying, God, thank you so much for choosing me. But God never chose his chosen people to put them in a position of being elite. He chose them to serve the world. He chose them to tell the world who God is. And the minute God's chosen people became arrogant and became proud and said, we are special we're different than everybody else. Things went haywire for them, and the same is true for us. So when you hear a person talking about predestination, and it's about how, how they have something that other people don't have, they are missing the point. You are predestined to tell the world about a God who loves them beyond in their wildest imagination. That's what predestination is all about. We have every spiritual blessing. He chooses us, he predestines us, and he redeems us is the third one. So if you look at verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The reality is it cost something for us to have all of these spiritual blessings. It cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his very blood. The scriptures say that we were slaves to sin. And think about the imagery. Sometimes we read imagery in scripture, but we never even stop and, and realize that did it make sense? We were slaves to sin. Well, if somebody's going to be liberated from slavery, somebody has to pay the price for that. Somebody has to pay to get them out of slavery. Well, the price that was paid to liberate us and to give us freedom was Jesus' blood. We could never pay the price on our own. So it's Jesus' blood that liberates us or redeems us from slavery. You were bought with a price, but the question, the million-dollar question is, why would God do that? Why would God choose you? Why would God give you purpose? Why would God redeem you? Look at the very last two words in verse 4. The words are in love. God does everything because God is love. It is his very character. It's not just something he does. God doesn't just show us his love. He doesn't just move to us. No, God's very nature, God's very character is love. God is love. And because God is love, he is compelled to move towards us. He is compelled to love us because it is his very nature. God loves you. God loves you beyond your wildest imagination. And he chose you and he predestined you and he redeemed you because of his love. Chosen, predestined, redeemed, and we are forgiven. So look at the second part of verse 7. Beginning of verse 8, it says, The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. When you say yes to Jesus, all of the crud of your life is put behind you. All of the stuff, the bad stuff is put behind you. You are forgiven. So God puts that stuff behind you. The question is, have you put that stuff behind you? Because sometimes God has forgiven us, but we live in the shame and the guilt of what we've done in the past. And God's saying, why are you concentrating on that? Why are you spending all the time in shame about those things? I've forgiven you. I sent my son to die on the cross. His blood redeems you, set you free from all of that sin. I have forgiven you. Sometimes we have to live into the forgiveness that God has given us. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about those who are forgiven much, love much. This is so powerful because the more you understand how much you're forgiven and the more you live in that forgiveness and not in shame, the more you are able to love others well. There's this thing out there that's pretty toxic called shame. 
shame interferes with all of our relationships, but this passage says you've been given every spiritual blessing. I have forgiven you. Now walk in that forgiveness. And it doesn't say you're forgiven. You're forgiven with the riches of God's grace. What is grace? Those of you who've been around this church for a long time, remember a pastor here by the name of Al Coonley. Um, every time I say Al Coonley, there's people who go, oh. he was an amazing man. Um, he was a good pastor. He was a good friend. He was a good mentor. And I remember the day I sat with him. I remember the table we were sitting at at a restaurant, and he explained grace to me. And this is what he said. He said, Doug, grace is, getting, is not getting what you deserve, but rather getting what you don't deserve. You see, I'm pretty messed up. I, I am a mangled wreck. I have all kinds of sin in my life. And God says, it's okay. You're forgiven. He says, I want to adopt you, and I want to make you my son, and I want to give you a plan and a purpose. That's not what I deserve, but that's what God gives me. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to be put in the stockades, but instead God promotes you and gives you this assignment to take the message of Christ to the world. That's grace. That's love. That's the picture of being totally forgiven in the grace of God. When we know this truth, it changes everything. Every spiritual blessing, he chose us, he predestined us, he redeemed us, he forgave us. And then I want you to make sure you catch this last one, because this is kind of like the kicker. This is the, this is the fuel that makes it all happen. This is the juice, if you will, that brings this all together. So look at verse 13. It says, when you believe, you were marked in him with a seal. That means that he actually, you can, in modern translation, you can almost say he, and I don't want to start a controversy here, he tattooed you, he branded you. I'm not promoting tattoos. I don't need that letter later. <laughs> See, D Pastor Doug said I could get a tattoo. It's not what I'm saying, young people. But anyway, the idea is that he branded. God put a seal on you. He said, this one's mine. Think of a branding. God put a seal on you, and then it says, the promised Holy Spirit. God chooses you. God gives you a destiny. God redeems you. God forgives you, and he gives you the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's worth clapping about. I was talking to Norflet this week about this sermon. And he reminded me of Romans 8:11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead takes up residence in us. You get the ramifications of that. What problem do you have in your life that's bigger than being dead? <laughs> right? I mean, we laugh, but he was dead. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. That ought to make whatever problems we have not seem insurmountable. Because the spirit of God is in us. Amen. So here's the deal. When you say yes to Jesus, this, this same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead takes up residence in you. And he gives you everything you need for life. Everything you need to live into the very things that we've been talking about this morning. This is the key to everything we've been talking about. Do you, how do I know that I've been chosen? How do I know what my 
destiny is? How do I understand that God redeemed me? How do I live into the forgiveness that, that God has, has offered me? How do, I, how do I live into all of these things? And the answer is it's the Holy Spirit in you that guides, directs, and teaches, that helps to encourage you. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings all of what we've talked about, all of these spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing is made known through the Holy Spirit that indwells you. So if you go to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. How many of you could use some comfort today? Amen. The Holy Spirit is called a Counselor. How many of you could use a little counseling today? I do. The Holy Spirit is called an advocate. How many of you need an advocate, someone who fights on your behalf? The Holy Spirit is called a guide. How many of you could use a little guidance along the way? The Holy Spirit is called the teacher, the spirit of life, the revealer. The, spirit, the Holy Spirit is what allows us to live into every spiritual blessing that Paul is listing in Ephesians. And so some of you ask the question, okay. So where do I start? Remember I said earlier, this is a being passage, not a doing passage. And I would say the same thing. It's really quite simple. It starts with doing nothing. Because to surrender is to stop fighting. You get that? To surrender is to throw up your arms and say, wave the white flag and say, I I'm not fighting anymore. I cannot do whatever this is I'm trying to do on my own. Life does not make sense on my own. When I try to do this my own way, I am not finding purpose in my life. I do not feel any sense of joy in who I am and what I'm doing. And it's not about you doing something different. It's about you stop doing that and just saying, God, I surrender. You know why we put our hands up when we praise God? Because it's an act of surrender. I surrender. I expose myself to you, God. I want what you have for me. So if you're asking the question, how do I live into this every spiritual blessing? The answer is you surrender. You give up control. You stop fighting. Letting God lead and direct your life will be the single greatest adventure you will ever go on. And it is the only way to have purpose in your life because God made you to do something, and you will not discover what that something is if God is not central to your life. I want to just ask you to close your eyes. Everybody close their eyes, and we do that just so that there's no distractions. I just want you to hear my words and nothing else. Some of you know, sitting here right now, that this message is for you. You might even have known, I know God has blessings for me, but, but I want you to just pray. The prayer is pretty simple. It's just saying to God, God, I am a mangled wreck. My life isn't working. What I'm trying to do isn't getting it done. God, I, I need you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe the Easter story is true, and I surrender. I surrender, and I want you to be the Lord of my life because doing it my way isn't getting it done. I want to live into the predestination that you've
called me to. I want to make the ark that you've called me to make because that's where life is found. Lord, show me your way. I receive your Holy Spirit. You can open your eyes. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to know. You can stop at the information counter and get a yes packet. You can come down and talk to us after the service. But we would love to know. We'd love to journey with you as you figure out how to live into your being chosen and your destiny, being redeemed, being forgiven. The passage of Ephesians is really written to remind us of how little we've done and how much God has accomplished. We don't bring much to the table. He is. I am. And so we walk in obedience because of all that God has done in our lives. These were meant to be words of praise. Words sung back or read back to the congregation to ground them. And so what I want to do is I want us to go back to some praise. So we're going to sing a couple songs together. We're going to take up the offering, which is a part of what we do. Um, I want to just encourage you to continue to worship. The band comes down and the ushers come down. I'm going to pray. But I want you to live into the truth that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you and you are not here by accident. It was God's desire that you sit in this room, that you hear these songs, that you hear this word. And my encouragement to you is to respond to whatever promptings God has given you in your spirit. Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray that you would continue to move uh, in our midst. I pray that you continue to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I pray for the people who are on the fence today that they would jump off that fence and they would walk with you. I pray that there would be story after story after story of people who could say 20 years ago I walked into this church and my life was a mangled wreck, but this church and the Spirit of God awakened something in me and I've been walking with Jesus ever since. Lord, I pray that we would know how much we've received how little we deserve, but how much we receive. Pray that we would know that the story of Easter is not a fairy tale. It's truth. You really did come. You really did die. And you really did raise from the dead so that we could have life. Lord, as we take up this offering, may it be a continuation of our praise to realize that there is nothing we could give that compares to how much you've given to us. Help us to give with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.